Hello there, Faithful Fat Guy Forum listeners. Before we get into this week's episode, I just want to remind you that there are several ways you can support this show. First of all, just the fact that you're downloading the show, listening, that helps a lot. But if you could rate and review the show on whatever podcast service you're using, I would greatly appreciate that because that gets the show in front of more people. You can also share it with people you think might benefit from the show. If you are interested in investing more and supporting the show, there's a few ways to do that. First of all, in the show notes of every episode, there are links to companies and products that I am an affiliate for that I use on a daily basis as a part of my own personal healthy journey that I feel I love sharing with all of you. And if you use those links and codes, you save a little bit and you also generate some revenue for the show. Another way is, of course, the Patreon. And the Patreon for the Fat Guy Forum is not only a way for you to show some financial support for the show, but you also get access to bonus material. And right now that includes 58 bonus episodes where I continue my conversations with the guests in the after show. And you also get a say in how the show evolves and grows. I'm thinking of changing the Fat Guy 5 soon, and I would love to get the input of all my Patreons on that. So if you are interested in that, sign up for one of the tiers of the Patreon that you're, it, you know, involves a payment. Yes, there are, you can sign up for free. I don't know why Patreon allows that, but you can do that. But you don't get access to any of the fun stuff. So sign yourself up. Link is in the show notes. And now let's get on to this week's new guest. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to the next episode of the Fat Guy Forum. This is your host, Gourmet, and I am happy to be with you as we head into February. First month of the year is done. On to the next one. I hope that your your January is treated you all well. Glad that you're here listening to the show. And with me today, I have a new guest. His name is Jason. Jason, how are you doing today? I'm no good, Gourmet. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm good, man. I'm glad we're getting to talk. So let's get into it, man. Tell us, what qualifies you to be on the Fat Guy Forum? Well, uh, I was a fat guy for a, a long time. Um, grew up overweight. Um, always made fun of as a kid and called all kinds of names. Uh, I'm sure people can imagine. Uh, growing up through elementary school, junior high, high school. Um, several years ago, I, I managed to lose 100 pounds uh, through exercise, portion control, things like that. Uh, and then gained it all back and then some, uh, which seems like it's pretty common occurrence with people. Um, tried all kinds of different things after that, like uh, some of those MLMs out there like Isogenics and Optivia uh, found that neither of those were, were sustainable for me uh, in long for long term. Um, so I just kind of gave up on any of that. I'm just like, whatever, I don't care anymore. Uh, eventually topped out around 413 pounds, which uh, is the highest I've ever, ever weighed in at. Uh, my wife then ended up having gastric bypass surgery in January of 2020. And at the time I was one of those people, it's like, yeah, whatever. That's just, that's a, that's stupid. Why, why would anyone, you know, no one needs to do that. Just diet and hard work. I've done it that way. That's all you need. And then when I saw that uh, it was successful for her and started kind of following some other people that had had similar procedures, I'm like, Hey, maybe, maybe this is what I need. So I ended up having gastric bypass in October of 2020 after a few months of the, the medically supervised weight loss that my insurance company required. Uh, had a goal of getting down to 195 pounds. Uh, I don't remember exactly how long it took me to get to the goal, but I did hit the goal and ended up getting down to about 185. Um, then maintained around 195 to 200 uh, after adding in some weight training. I've uh, gained a little bit back since then because the last year has been a little, a little rough in some ways, but um, not crazy. Uh, been about two, 
10 to 15 or so. So not, not bad. Um, so yeah, that's kind of, kind of my background. Yeah. So let's, let, let's kind of get into some of the, let's get into some of the background, you know, now that we see kind of the over the, the big picture overview, like when you talked about growing up big, you know, and kind of hearing it from people, I think that's something a lot of people listening to the show can relate to, you know, how, you know, we tend, we tend to be othered, you know, when we're, when we're growing up in those bigger bodies. Like, when do you remember first becoming conscious of that? Like, was it, was it from the teasing? Was it from something at home? Like when, when do you remember first being like, okay, this is something that people see in me and talk about. And should I be concerned about this? Like when those, those thoughts started to develop. It was probably more from teasing from classmates. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I can't really remember if it was elementary school or maybe early junior high, uh, but it was definitely from, from comments and teasing from, from other people. And so, you know, you talked about that first kind of like significant weight loss. Like, was that when you were much younger or like, were you try as a kid, were you just dealing with it? Like, were you trying, you know, cause I, I always think it's interesting, like to hear whether or not someone like was dieting as a kid or like it was something that they came into when they were an adult. Yeah. So as a kid, I was never like crazy overweight. Like I was bigger than most of the kids in my class and kids my age, but I wasn't like a huge, huge kid, just overweight. So I didn't really diet until uh, I was an adult. Um, the, the time that I lost the, the weight just through exercise and, and portion control, meal planning, things like that, uh, I was in my early to mid thirties then. So I'd, I'd kind of <laughs> been up and down quite a bit since then, but had gotten, gotten a little out of control at that point. Yeah. So what was it at that point that made you say, okay, I need to do something about this, knowing it had kind of been a presence in your life for so long? Uh, a lot of different things. One thing that I vividly remember was going out to lunch or dinner at a restaurant with family and trying to get into a, a booth table and being super uncomfortable because I didn't fit. And that was kind of like, you know what, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> something's something's got to change. No, understood. And like the path you chose then, you know, because I think, you know, eat less, move more is the, the general path a lot of people start on, you know, when the, especially a first weight loss attempt, like you said, kind of portion controlling and working on that, like what, what do you think led that to not be successful for you during that, you know, during that time? For me, I, uh, two things mainly. One was if I would get sick, I would obviously disrupt my, uh, any kind of working out or exercise that I did. And if it was a prolonged illness, like sometimes if I had the flu or sick and just had no energy for a couple weeks, that kind of brought me into the mentality of, oh, okay, I'll get back on it tomorrow. Uh, I, I could do it tomorrow. I could get back on it tomorrow. And then that turned into days, weeks, months, and just never got back on it. Uh, that was kind of the main part of it. Um, other, other thing would be hitting plateaus and getting discouraged that I'm not going to get through this plateau and just giving up. No, understood. Understood for sure. So you lost the weight that time you put it back on and you know, like you, you I, I'm also curious, like, cause I've had a couple people on the show that have had some real success with programs like Octavia and I've had a, a more, I would say more so people on the show that have used those programs successfully to the point where then they realize that they're not going to be able to like sus sustain that as what they do for the rest of their life. Like, what was your, what drew you to programs like that? And that, you know, what were the things that stood out to you? 
So I had different friends that were, were using each of those products, um, some of them selling them. And of course, being being an MLM, they're, some of them were, were selling the products. And uh, I saw results that they were having. And I'm like, you know, it's worth a try. Seems like it's pretty easy to do. Um, biggest factor was the cost is those programs are not cheap. Uh, but when you compare them to eating out two to three meals a day, it's really, really not, not bad cost-wise. Uh, so I was mostly drawn to it just from people that I knew that had tried it and were, were using it and um, it seemed pretty easy. Um, and, and as you said, for some people, it does work really well and they're able to get to their goal. For me, it just, neither one of those was very sustainable. I get really bored having the same things over and over. Uh, I prefer to be able to make my own food, uh, make it the way I want it to taste. And that wasn't much of an option with these two, uh, especially with isogenics being more uh, shake-based. I I'm one of those people that I'm, I want to chew my food. I don't want to drink right. my meals a day. So that that one didn't last too long. Um, not that the products were bad. Um, not the companies are bad. They just they weren't weren't right for me. Right, which is the thing. Like I think at all of this, like when we have these different attempts, and you know, people. I'm sure people listening can relate to that. You know trying different things, you know, the usual, I think that motivation you talked about is something that is, is also resident. Like you see what other people are getting. It's, it's why advertising is, is so seductive with, with a lot of programs because it's seeing the, you know, the before and after pictures, but then also having people in your life that are having that success. So even though there can be that hesitancy around structurally, do I feel like this is going to fit in with what I want to do? I'm not sure, but I want those results, you know? It's, it's, it's chasing the result and not necessarily being in that place of how is this going to impact what I do for the rest of my life? And, you know, and I also chuckle a little bit, like, cause I think a lot of times, like the, the money issue is something that comes into play for people, regardless of what way of eating they're following, you know, or when they're not following one, it's, it's, well, I would do that, but you know, I, I, I'm, I'm in the keto space, you know, for, for my, most of my experience, like, and I get a lot of messages from people that are like, I would go keto, but meat is so expensive now. And these things are so expensive now. And well, then I'm like, well, but if you spend, do you blink at spending $15 on fast food for lunch? Like there, it's almost like those things become our norm. Like you said, the eating out is, becomes a norm. The, the prices of snacks, things like that, we don't really think about. But when we're looking at something new and seeing the cost of it, it pops right out at us. Like it becomes very visible, like, okay, am I going to have to pay for that? But I think in the end, often when we, we switch our way ourselves to a healthier way of eating, even I see it with people that use like meal prep services, like at first it seems exorbitantly expensive until you compare it to what you're actually spending on groceries throughout the month. And that this isn't a cost on top of what you're already spending. It's replacing a lot of the spending you're doing already. So that can be a, a situation for people to navigate for sure. Um, you talked about, you know, your wife having gastric bypass surgery and you at that point kind of just one, not being interested, you know, not being interested in it, thinking that it was, was needed, but also having accepted your life the way it was like, do you really, what are your thoughts on that? Like in terms of like coming to that place of I've made these attempts, they haven't succeeded. So were you at a place where it was just like, I, I'm not sure it's worth the effort to try again, or was it just, I'm comfortable right now, so I'm going to stay where I am for right now? Does that, does that question even make sense? Yeah, yeah. And so, I, I, for the most part, I'd say I probably just kind of gave up on, on making any progress. Um, I was I wasn't, definitely wasn't comfortable where I was, but 
I wasn't in a place where I felt like putting in the effort to change anything. And as I mentioned, even when my wife was getting the surgery, I'm like, you don't need it, whatever. You don't need it. You're not, you're not that overweight. That's not something that you need to do. Uh, and I wasn't as supportive as I should have been in that case. <laughs> um, but then when she, she had hers and she didn't have nearly as much to lose as I did. Uh, but I saw she was getting, getting good results from it. Uh, she hit her goal. I believe it was at about nine months, uh, which was, was pretty good uh, and has maintained since then. Uh, and I was thinking, cause my, like I said, my insurance required, I do so many months of the medical uh, supervised weight loss before they would approve the surgery. So my thinking was, all right, I'll go down this path. I'll do the medical, medically supervised weight loss and I'll just do that. I won't do the surgery. And I was even struggling with that. I, I felt like I was just barely getting to the point where they would approve the surgery. Um, and just, I was struggling with that. So I'm like, you know what? I saw that it worked for her. It's not just this trendy thing that people are doing now. So um, I might as well, might as well try to try just about everything else. So. Which is one of the things, like, when we were communicating before even setting up the recording, you know, one of the things you said you wanted to talk about was that perception that people have of surgery. Like, because there is, to an extent, you know, and I think at, at the moment where we're at kind of culturally, like, the the medical drug, like, the, the semaglutide and, and those drugs are kind of taking some of the spotlight as the quote-unquote easy way out that, you know, that people like to discuss now, but surgery held that spotlight for a long time. And, and I still think for some people, there is that perception that surgery is something that people enter into lightly, you know, and see as just a quick fix. And the reality is, is, is that it's, it's not that like, that's just not true. Like, are there outliers that, you know, especially people that have access to huge amounts of money who are, who's, you know, make a decision they're going to get surgery and then find someone who will do it, you know, quickly and don't go through the, the real process. Sure. I, but that's in every, every weight loss way of eating and, and things along those lines. Like I think with most people, it, the experience is what you're talking about, you know, that there are requirements before you can even get approved for the surgery and things that you have to go through. Like, so what is, what is your perspective on like coming to that decision to, to go through with the surgery? Like, was that, hmm. Cause it, it, you know, I, I, maybe I'm, I'm not phrasing all of this right, but it's, it's giving you that, that opportunity to speak to that person who says, you know, take going, making the decision to have surgery had to have been like an easy switch to flip. And it's, it's the, the easy way out. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. And I used to be one of those people that thought that like, I, I'm like, I, I didn't think it was easy way out for my wife. I just didn't think she it was necessary for her. Uh, but I used to think, oh, there, someone else is just doing that now just because they don't want to do what they need to do. Um, but going through that process, and and I'm glad that I had to go through that medical supervised weight loss because that really prepares you for, hey, you, you, there's some changes, real changes you're going to have to do in order to, or changes you'll have to make in order to get, one, get the surgery approved, and two, to maintain after that surgery. And you hear a lot of people that have either the, the people used to have lap band surgery or the the sleeve or the gastric bypass and then end up gaining weight back, which was what well, a lot of people are. You're going to get gain it back. Everyone I know that ever had that gain it back. So you're also got to be mindful of that. Um, so having that kind of medically supervised weight loss program beforehand, and especially with, I was lucky where I have mine was with the same bariatric team that I still am in contact with for follow-ups after the surgery. So I've been working with these same people for 
almost four years now. And so there's more accountability there. Um, it's, it's, it, I've definitely changed my, my perspective on it going through all that and knowing, okay, it's not just a quick fix. You're going to just lose the weight and you're, you'll be good to go. It's still a lot of work to it. A lot of work on making sure you're paying attention to what you should and shouldn't eat. Uh, portion control is a huge thing, especially early on after the surgery and keeping up with exercise and exercise is a big part of how I got to my goal. Like I, I had to really fight really hard <laughs> to hit the, get that last 30 pounds off uh, to get to my goal. That was months and months and months of extra cardio, doing some weightlifting. And it wasn't, but it was far from the easy way out for me. Oh, for sure. So let's, one of the things I think, you know, that we haven't really touched on too much that I think is important to kind of have in this discourse before we even get into, you know, before we dive deeper into kind of like what the surgery experience was like for you is when you think about your relationship with food throughout your life, like, what do you think, what do you think it was about your relationship with food that brought you to where you were, you know, 413 pounds? Like, were, cause you, I hear all different kinds, you know, I think there's all different kinds of levels for it with people. Like is someone, you know, I, I've had plenty of people on the show that would say that they, they deal with food addiction issues or emotional eating issues. I've had people on the show that got to the same exact size as those people that it really was about them having issues with understanding what portioning should be and, you know, having access to food. And like, if they had access, they ate it. Like it was never about, this was a big emotional drive for them. Like, so where do you kind of, how do you describe what your relationship with food was like before you really got, you know, this weight loss started? So I, I would kind of go back to when, when I was an adult and had started having a little more freedom and had a job and was, had a car, was out kind of living my life. I was realizing, Hey, there's no one that's stopping me from having a second dinner at like 10, 11 o'clock at night if I'm out doing stuff. Uh, so that, that kind of maybe caused the snowball effect going forward. Um, I was aware of what portions were and what I should be having. I just didn't care. Um, I just kind of had this like newfound freedom that's, Hey, I'm adult. I can kind of do what I want. No one's going to stop me. Um, then kind of, as I got more into adulthood, I, I found, I realized later that and you mentioned like emotional eating. I mean, I would eat when I was, because I was bored. I would eat because I was emotional. I would eat because something sounded good. I saw something on TV. I'm like, oh, that sounds good. I'm going to go get that right now. Uh, so there wasn't like one specific trigger for me. It was a lot of just, I'm bored. I'm, I'm tired. I'm sad. Uh, I'm hungry. And again, I, I knew how much I should have, but just didn't care. So this yeah. Well, and then it becomes habit, you know, like it becomes ingrained behavior. Right. Absolutely. No, understood. So which surgery did you end up having? So I had the, the gastric bypass surgery. Which is the, the full bypass or sometimes people describe it, right? Like not the sleeve. Right. So it's also called um, RNY. Um, so they basically sew off a portion of your, your stomach and leaving you about an egg shaped size stomach. And what after, you know, waking up after the surgery, cause that's one of the things that I, I find, you know, even for my own experience, like when I, when I had had thoughts about surgery and things along those lines, like it's, it's an immediate physical barrier to, you know, kind of how things had been for decades before in terms of, you know, treating food and, and living with food. Like, what was it like for you after the surgery? Like, how did that, that go for you? 
like those first couple of months? So immediately after surgery, I, I started having serious regrets, not because I thought I did the wrong thing, but I was, I, when they, at least the doctor I went to, when they do the surgery, they basically fill your abdomen with gas in order to um, have the least, um, least, I don't know what you call it, but least invasive, I guess, in the surgery. So they make the five incisions um, and that kind of inflates your abdomen so that they can get to everything easier. Um, and one thing that's kind of common is getting that gas back out of your abdomen afterwards. So I had a lot of the pressure in my, my chest and stomach from that for several days after. Uh, I just remember that first night in the hospital afterwards. I'm like, oh, what did I do? This is horrible. <laughs> um, I just want to sleep and I couldn't sleep. And I was on CPAP because uh, I had sleep apnea because of uh, from being overweight. So they're trying to put that on me and that's forcing more air into me. Um, so that took, I'd say probably about a week or so for that to completely go away for me. Uh, some people a day or two walking around, they're fine. They're able to get it out, but it took a little while for me to, to finally get past that. Um, beyond that, the challenge was getting myself to exercise. They, they, they set you up with their, their nutritionist and their exercise specialist. And so they, they meet with you frequently and say, okay, how, how often are you getting up and walking? We want you to walk in this many times a day for this long. And that, that was a little hard for me to get into just because I was so wiped out from that surgery. Uh, but once I started doing it, started getting the walking in. And then once you, they do restrict when you can start eating after the surgery. Um, once I started kind of getting that, I felt a lot better about it. And I'm like, all right, this is, this is doable. Uh, didn't, didn't regret it anymore. No, just, and now up until that point in your life, like, had you been, had there ever been periods where you had been, you know, into regular exercise or physically active? Had you played sports? Like, or was making this a part of like your life routine, something that was just as new as like adjusting to the, the physical changes to your stomach? I was never really consistent with any kind of physical activity. I played some sports in elementary school and um, just kind of casual sports in, in college and stuff with, at, at my church, but never like consistently active. Like I'd join a gym, I'd go for a few months and then cancel because I didn't, didn't feel like going anymore. Um, and then when I had lost weight on my own before, I did most of that just through walking. I'd walk a couple miles a day on breaks at work. Uh, so I wasn't, the, the thought of exercise and activity wasn't completely foreign to me. It was just getting myself back in a, into a steady routine uh, that I could could keep up with and maintain rather than, okay, this is just temporary. I'm going to do this for a few weeks or just until I get to my goal. But having that mindset of this is something I need to, to do going forward. It doesn't have to be just walking, but that's the start because you just had surgery. You had your insides kind of messed with a little bit. So you got to ease into it. But, but that progressed into running, which... I was never really a runner. Uh, I was always slowest in my, my PE classes in school. Um, so running was never a thing for me, but I got into running and then into weights and started doing uh, several obstacle course races a year or so. Uh, it's, it's for me, if I'm just doing the same exercise over and over, I get bored and stop. So for me, a lot of it is, and I think for probably a lot of other people, is changing it up so you're not doing the same routine every day or every week but changing it up. So you've got some kind of variation, something new to look forward to. And where, cause I I've seen, you know, following you, like knowing that you've, you've specifically done several, had several experiences with Spartan races. Like where, 
when did that first kind of pop into your head that not, I'm not just going to, you know, be changing up my physical activity, but I'm interested in doing some of these, you know, more structured races or, or things along those lines. Like where did that come from for you? So I had actually done a couple of, of obstacle course races before I had weight loss surgery. Uh, there was one that was called warrior dash that they're no longer around, but I did a couple of their races and the first one I did, I trained for, I did a little bit of running and that did that one without too much problem. The second one I did, I hadn't trained for at all. I got massive blisters on the balls of both my feet. Uh, almost had to get carried off the course. <laughs> it was, it was horrible. Um, ended up in the ER afterwards from those blisters. So once I lost, lost had the surgery, lost the weight and started building strength, I'm like, you know what? I'd like to kind of prove to myself that I can do this again. Uh, so I, I did a couple of Rugged Maniac courses, which was very similar to Warrior Dash and not as intense as Spartan, and had a lot of fun with those, was able to do just about all the obstacles and finish the race without going to the ER uh, or having any injuries. There you so go. <laughs> one of my friends had challenged me to do Spartan with him. I'm like, no, no, you're crazy. He's like, we're doing the 10K. I'm like, no, I'm good with my 5Ks. Uh, but he talked me into it and we did a 10 K and, uh, and then we did, uh, they had the, uh, trifecta weekend out here in Phoenix in November, which, uh, for anyone who's not familiar with that, you got a 21 K a 10 K and a 5 K all in one weekend. So we did the 21 K on Saturday and then I did the five or the 10 K then the five K on Sunday was able to complete all three races, uh, not able to complete all the obstacles because any, they, they have a lot of monkey bar type obstacles which i just don't have the upper body strength for right now uh, but aside from those i was able to complete just about all the obstacles so i'm uh, trying to get to where i can do more of those upper body ones this fall that's awesome and for anyone who's never done uh, you know if the idea concept of a spartan race is new to them what can you just give a, a quick description of of what that kind of event is like yeah so i'm like I said, it depends on which one you do, determines the distance. So 5K, 10K, 21K, and people joke that they're Spartan miles uh, because they tend to not measure their miles accurately. So the 21K, which should have been a little over 13 miles, was really closer to 14 or 15 miles mm -hmm. when some of us used our fitness trackers. Um, so there's running, which you're not forced to run. You can walk it. Uh, there are different types of obstacles from climbing over a four-foot wall, climbing over a seven-foot wall, um, climbing cargo nets, carrying heavy objects. Like there's a bucket carry, uh, I believe those weigh like 70 or 80 pounds for a certain distance. Um, one of the, one of the ones which, oh, I hated this one. It was a sandbag carry and that was part of all three races. And this was going up seven or eight flights of stairs in the grandstands at Phoenix raceway with the sandbag on your shoulder. Um, then coming back down and dropping it off. Uh, so you've, you've got, Lots of obstacles that test different different strengths from upper body to sustained carrying weight and lifting and climbing uh, on top of, of running. So the, it, it really puts a lot of work on your entire body to, to get through one of these races. Oh, no, that sounds completely obvious from the description of the event. <laughs> and then hearing that you did three of them in one weekend um, is also impressive, man. So... Surgery, you know, being a tool, you know, it's, it's how you use the tool that, that brings success. Like, what do you think are the things that you really needed to, you know, have your head in, in order to reap the success that you did, you know, from the experience? 
I would say one of the biggest things is to, to not be of the mindset, yep, this is going to fix everything and, and I'm going to be good to go. Um, that I'm just going to drop this weight. You really need to have, have a mindset of, you know, I, this, this is a lot a big life change and I need to do my work on it. Uh, and that's why I, I think it's really important that if, if anyone's considering it, it's to make sure you get with a good team. Um, like I said, my, my team consisted of a nutritionist, exercise specialist, and a um, nurse practitioner. And they monitored everything along the way through the medical supervised weight loss, through the surgery, and even the annual follow-ups I go to. Um, so having that support is really, really important. And knowing, you know, this isn't just, I'm going to have surgery, I'm going to be thin, and then I can kind of go back to whatever, whatever I used to do, not working out, not being active, eating whatever I want you're going to set yourself up to fail if that's the way you look at it. So you need to go into it ready to, to with this mindset that you're ready to make this complete life change permanently. And like, I don't look at it as a diet because to me, it's not a diet. It's, it's a complete lifestyle change. I'm not here to eat just a little bit of food for a temporary amount of time and then go crazy. It's being complete, constantly being mindful of, okay, this is how much I should eat. This is what I should eat. This is what I'm going to do. Uh, not to say there aren't days where you might do go a little overboard, um, but I try to limit cheat days because um, <laughs> for me cheat days used to turn turn into cheat weeks or cheat weekends. Um, so I try not to look at it that way. Or oh, okay, I got to this milestone, I'm going to reward myself by having something I shouldn't have. To me, that's setting up for failure. Um, so best is to to get in that mindset, and that's why I think that that wait supervised weight loss beforehand was so important because they start working with you on this is what you're going to need to do after surgery. So let's start working this into your, your daily life. Now let's start working into the portion control. Let's start working, making sure you're getting enough water in every day. Uh, make sure you're and for me. Caffeine was a big thing. It still is. I still drink a lot of coffee, um, but making sure that you're having enough water to supplement the coffee you're drinking because that coffee dehydrates you. So it's, it's, it really is just this, this mindset of it's not a quick fix. I still have to do a lot of work and being ready to make that, that change. Cause if you're not ready to make that change, you're, there's a good chance you're just going to cause yourself to fail. Which I think is important to think about that idea of being ready to make that change. Because one of the things you talked about when you were talking about kind of your attitude with food before, you know, that stands out to me versus what you're talking about now is that idea that you knew how much you should be eating, but you weren't like, you know, there was that, you know, food filled those holes in our, in, in your life, you know, whether it was bored or dealing with emotions, you know, all that, that different behavior, but also one of the things you're talking about being important now is knowing what you need to be doing and doing it versus the knowing what you need to be doing and not doing it. Like, what do you think has allowed you as a person to make that shift? Because, I, I think sometimes people have a perception that when someone is is overweight and significantly overweight, that they have zero perception about you know what how much food they should be eating or how they should be moving their bodies. Like, but I, I think in reality, as often people that have been significantly overweight probably know a lot more, uh, you know, about fitness and health and and food and and food nutrition than a lot of other people on the planet. It's just not in practice, you know, because of their cycles of of attempting to lose weight and things along those lines and just, you know, trying to get themselves ready and maybe never taking that step. Like, what do you think was allowed you to take the step from knowledge in, in inaction to knowledge with action? 
I, I think part of it was seeing, like I said, how my, my wife succeeded in this and I saw, you know, this is maybe something that I need to, to try and that'll work for me. And I, I didn't go start out with the right mentality. And, um, cause again, I still kind of thought it was a trendy, easy way out. And anyone, anyone that knows me knows I'm not into trendy things. So I, I resisted this whole thing from the beginning, uh, until I'm like, Hey, you know what? I'm, I started following some other guys on Instagram that had either the bypass or the sleeve. And I've, I've seen the people that gained weight back afterwards, but then I've seen people that were successful. So I like, you know, like I see what these people are doing, um, reading, reading their experience, watching videos on, on what they went through, seeing, okay, this is what they, how, what triggers them to eat. This is how they deal with it. So a lot of it was, you know what, I'm, I'm tired of, of this feeling of being overweight. And I know that this is kind of my last resort at this point. So once I started losing the weight and getting to a weight that I hadn't seen since before high school, I'm like, you know what, this is, this is it. I'm not, I'm not going to let myself get back into those habits because now I've, I've experienced both sides of it as an adult and there's no way I ever want to go back to, to where I was. And how do you now, how do you reinforce that for yourself, you know, on a daily basis? Um, that's a tough question. (laughs) Um, and I, I still, I still keep some of my old clothes uh, laying around. I don't pull them out and look at them every day. But like I've got one of my pairs of jeans that was a waist size forty six, I believe. Uh, I still have one of my old polo shirts that was a four or five XL. So every once in a while, I come across those in my closet. I'm like, geez, this is this, these these used to be small, like tight on me. Um, and then I look and hold those up to my size large or medium shirts I wear now, or uh, size 34 pants that I, I normally wear I'm like all right that's a good reminder <laughs> so well, it's a vi- it's a visual stimulus like it's it, it's it can be you know comparing the shirt you wore then to the shirt you wear now is like can be a stark contrast yeah absolutely and one thing that was pretty funny is a, a while back i was going through some of my old clothes and uh came across a sport coat that i had and i put it on i, I don't remember couldn't tell you what size it was but it, it was very large I put it on. I'm like, oh my gosh, I could probably wrap this around me twice. So come on, come over here for a second. Get in this. So we've got a picture of me wearing this sport jacket and her with her uh, inside of it too. And I reached around both of us and was able to button it up. That's so, wild. <laughs> and, and this is something that was small on me at one point. So um, things like that. And, and doc, I, I may try to document a lot of this progress along the way on my, my Instagram page and that wasn't so much for other people, but for me to be able to go back and be, okay, this is where I was. This is, this was my progress along the way. And like you said, a visual reminder of where I was and I don't want to ever want to get back to that. So like I said, I don't look at those clothes every day, but I have those pictures that I can look at anytime and be like, you know what? I I came this far. I'm not going to, not going to mess it up and go back. And I think people listening are going to hear, okay, so now he's, you know, running multiple Spartan races a weekend, he's down 200 pounds, he's got this focus on his relationship with food, like, but as we know, these are lifelong journeys, and it's never, quote unquote, easy street, like, what do you think are, you know, versus, you know, we could, we could talk about what were the things that were challenging to you when you started that, you know, uh, that medical, medically, medically supervised weight loss before the surgery. But what are the things that challenge Jason now? So I, I still have struggled with food. Um, I and mean, I, I think most people will, if you struggle with it before surgery is not necessarily going to change that. 
but I think you, you just need to be aware of what your triggers are and find a way to just deal, deal with it instead of dealing with, with food. Uh, so whether it's, you know, I, I want to eat something, but you know, it's not a scheduled meal time. I'm not hungry. Uh, maybe I just need a distraction other than food. So go for a walk, go do a 10 minute workout, uh, go give someone a call, talk to someone on the phone, have a glass of water, things like that. Um, but I, th I think knowing, knowing the triggers is part of what's helping me. Uh, I've, I'm in school right now, and when I'm focusing on a, on this project or something, I'll kind of be like, "Oh, I need something to snack on." So, I <laughs> I still struggle with that, and occasionally by myself going for like a bag of a bag of peanuts or something, or um, something that usually it's a healthier snack, but it's not not time where I need to eat or should be eating. So, trying to look at the the food more of as a fuel as instead of a time filler, I think is is the, my still something I struggle with a lot. Um, and I, I think that's probably pretty common too. Um, but like I said, finding a, finding some other kind of distraction when you know you're getting triggered to a point where you would normally reach for, reach for food when it's not time, when it's not the right time to, to fuel yourself, um, finding something to replace that with something healthier. Which I think is an important thing for people to hear because as much like I a hundred percent agree with you that it's, it's common, but I think for some reason there's still this, well, I, I well, I think it's a hope that every person out there who is significantly overweight, or even not significantly but slightly overweight, but has has an issue with food, the goal that they have in their mind is that they'll never struggle with food again, and you know they're they're chasing this golden ring of, you know, I I just want to get to a point in my life where food, you know, all of this stuff is just second nature to me, and I never ever struggle with that desire to snack when I'm bored again or dealing with an emotional trigger and all of those things. And I think it's more important for us to come to the place that you're talking about, which is realizing that a lot of these things aren't, they, they can, they can weaken in strength and we get better at handling them, but they don't necessarily ever go away. And some may, some may not like it. And it's all lived experience, but I think there's, you know, you see some people out there that are promising, like, you know, work with me, and you'll never think about food the same way again. Like you're never going to do this again. Whereas I think if it's more work with me, learn about food and learn about yourself specifically in your relationship with food and what triggers you and how you use food, then you become more aware so that you can cut a lot of those challenges off before they become the snowballs that they used to be, that they, they used to be, you know, it's, yeah, it, I, it's accepting that. Go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's just like you said, if, if someone's telling you, Oh, I'll help you to, to never, be tempted by food or to, to uh, never struggle with food again. There's no way one person's going to be able to do that for everyone. Uh, yeah, there are some people that maybe no longer struggle with that, but I think that's a, a very small minority of people who experience that after going through weight loss surgery or any kind of significant weight loss. Uh, it, it is it is a mindset that you just you have to go through constantly and sometimes daily remind yourself, nope, not gonna not gonna go down that road. Um, and I, I can give you an example for me. Uh, I used to have a really long commute five days a week and it was really easy for me every morning to stop at McDonald's and get, you know, one of their super healthy <laughs> breakfast combos, um, or stop and get donuts on my way to work. And when I say donuts, it was two or three donuts and a cup of coffee. Um, uh, so after going through all this, I'm, I'm to the point now where as much as I love donuts, 
that's not something that really tempts me anymore. There are other things that still tempt me, but I found with some of those things, like that doesn't, doesn't, that particular food, donuts don't tempt me. Cookies don't generally tempt me. Um, other things do like things like pizza that tempt me, but then I find with, uh, other versions that I can have, uh, like there are other options out there that I can have, like they have cauliflower crust, they have, um, chickpea crust, things like that. Uh, so yeah, there, there's, there's never going to be a complete fix to, I'm never going to be, I'm never going to struggle with food again. I think that's going to be a lifetime thing for me, uh, as it probably is for, for most people who have gone through this. Uh, but it's, it's knowing ahead of time that it's not going to fix. It. I think that's important because again, if you're thinking that that's going to be fixed and you're not mentally prepared for putting in that work, you're, you're kind of dooming yourself to fail. No, 100%. And that's what it is, is like when we get, get into that place of this is, I'm going to be quote unquote cured and this is going to go away. It, it is setting yourself up for failure because it's, we, and it's like we almost actively sabotage ourselves then because when it doesn't completely go away, we then think, I'm broken. There's something wrong with me. This is, no one else deals with this. And I think it's more, that's why it's important for voices to be amplified that are saying, you can still have times and days that you struggle, but the struggle doesn't define your success. The struggle doesn't define the things that are actively changing and getting better. Like it doesn't diminish those things. It allows you to, to understand that there are more, if you're someone that, you know, has a day or two here or there where you struggle with food, you had years where it was every day, you know, years where that struggle was consistent. So having that struggle go from 365 days a year to five days a year in total, like that's an incredible accomplishment, but we diminish it because those five days of struggle still exist, you know, and those numbers aren't statistically or anything along those lines, but just saying like, when, you know, I, I, one of the things I always love to talk to people about is like, you know, when they're like, I had a bad night, so I ruined my month. And it's like, well, how many meals did you eat over the past month? You know, three, 30 days in a month on average, three meals a day on average, 90 meals, and two of your meals weren't perfect. There's, that's, that's still 88 meals that were great. Like, acknowledge the good and use that to fuel you when you do have to work on those things. You have to be conscious of them. And you know, I think you put that really well talking about that idea of it's not just that, you know, it's the slate gets wiped clean, but it's when you are, when you're aware of the things that trigger you personally or challenge you personally, you become better at noticing when those things are starting to come into play. You know, you become more aware of them starting. So then you can cut that off at the past and refocus yourself. Right. And, and like I said, I, I think it's important to identify those triggers as much as you can early on, preferably before you, if you're, if you do have weight loss surgery, figuring that out before you have the surgery. So you're, you've got that, you're not going to have it all figured out. <laughs> you're, just, you're not, but you've got as much of it figured out ahead of time as you, as you can. So you're not just going into it and like, all right, what am I doing now? What, uh, by my program, part of the, the approval process involved also meeting with a psychiatrist. Uh, and I think that's really important to, to go through that too, because they also want to make sure that your mind is kind of good on the right track for, to be prepared for this whole life change. Uh, because like we talked about for some people, it's just a trend. It's like, Oh yeah, this is going to fix everything. But you're going through all this process and setting yourself up for failure and you want to do everything you can to prepare yourself to succeed. 
all, the, throughout the whole process. Which I think is important for anyone who's looking to lose weight, but really, you know, we could kernel in on it, how important it is for someone that's making the decision to have surgery because it, like you said, again, even just about the fact that it's not, you know, it's not a trend or a magic bullet, you know, it's not an easy decision. It's not an easy process. And if you are not, you know, I've had, I've had probably close to a dozen people on the show that had weight loss surgery, lost a significant amount of weight and ended up, but didn't do any of that work when they had the surgery. And so then found themselves in the place where they were putting weight back on because all of those old habits, all of those old challenges were still there. They had done no work to kind of unbury them and, and identify them. So they found themselves right back where they were when they started or even bigger. And then, you know, I, I think it's any failed weight loss attempt can be crushing to a person. But the fact that you, you know, put yourself under the knife, you had a surgery and then it didn't, you, it quote unquote, didn't work is crushing. Like is like, cause one it's crushing. Cause if you, if you live in that oblivious place of, well, the surgery didn't do its job, which we all know isn't, isn't usually the reality there. You know, it's, it's that I didn't, you know, the person didn't do the work that they needed to do pre or post the surgery, but it's also then being like, wow, like how significantly broken am I that I could have my, you know, my physiology altered and I still went back to food. And it's like, well, there were pieces missing. So I think that's just, you know, that's, that's a message to, to hammer home to people listening. Like whether you're considering surgery or not, whether you're just considering following a certain way of eating or, or starting a medication or anything along those lines, the tool doesn't do the work for you. It's how you work the tool. And the, our, our brains, our mindsets are such a huge part of it, no matter what tool we use. Yeah, exactly. And, and the, the word tool is a, a good way to, to describe it as well. Like that's what, what a lot of us consider the, the surgery is it's, it's not the fix. It's not what's going to make you better. It's not what's going to change your mindset. It's a tool to help you get to where you need to be or where you want to be, but it's not the thing that's going to fix it. Uh, it's, it's a tool that you use along with being mindful about what you're having, what you're eating, being mindful of when you're eating, being mindful of why you're eating. Uh, it's all those are tools uh, and just the surgery alone is not enough. And, and I know I keep talking about the support team, but really that's, I think, one of the keys. And I see people that their insurance isn't approving them to have the surgery without doing some kind of medically supervised weight loss beforehand or jumping through hoops. So they'll go cash pay and have the surgery out of the country and then come back and have little to no support from the, the medical office that did the surgery. And that's, to me, that's in a way it's almost setting yourself up for failure. Not to say that that won't work. Cause I'm sure there are a lot of people that that works just fine for, they go into it ready. But if you're not having a team that's preparing you for this change beforehand and then keeping up track of you afterwards and, and following up at least every year, if not six months to kind of just help hold you accountable and be there if you have questions or you're starting to struggle with something like having that, that team that can, that can get you through that is, is super important. And I think a lot of people are robbing themselves of that support by not wanting to go through these hoops, which yeah, it's frustrating if <laughs> insurance wants you to jump through these hoops, but they're there for a reason. Oh yeah. I mean, really insurance is actually paying out more to these offices by having you do the surgery, but 
at the same time, they're, they're preparing you for this change. So you're just not jumping into it without being aware of what's going on. So that's, that's a huge part of being prepared and, and preparing yourself to be successful is by having all these hoops jump through beforehand and then having that support and even support of family and friends afterwards. And your, your heart and your mind has to be in those hoops in that, in that process. Like a, one of the, th one of the things that still to this day blows my mind is we're probably talking about 15 years ago or so, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Um, I found a, a for it may have been through Reddit or through another weight loss forum. Uh, there was a group of people just sharing how to trick the psychiatric evaluation to get weight loss surgery. Like basically saying, these are the questions they're going to ask you. And these are the answers they want. And it terrified. It's one of, it's honestly one of the things I had was actually looking at surgery at that point. Like hadn't really seriously considered it, but was just, you know, doing my research. And I came across that and it was one of the things that, you know, terrified me one, because I personally, I was like drawn to see, Oh wow. That's, you know, that's a way to get around that. But then I was like, wait a minute, that's a way to get around that. Like, there's a reason they're having you do that. Like, there's a reason this is important. And, you know, while stuff like that, if it exists today, it's probably buried somewhere on Reddit. And, you know, someone could find it if they wanted to. But um, it's still that idea that you can't, you, you can't do, you can't, you can't cheat the work. Like, you know, as much as weight loss surgery isn't a cheat, you know, we, you know, want to send that message out there. Like, it's the idea that you can't cheat the surgery, like, because when you cheat the surgery, you know, that's when you hear of people, you know, figuring out that if things are liquefied, that they can get through, you know, they can handle it better and they can eat it better, you know, and so do some wild things on that side of things. Like, you have to understand and be honest with yourself where you're at and all of it. And I think it's the same question that someone needs to think about if they're considering surgery is like, are you really ready for that experience? Like, you know, someone who struggles with, with food addiction, you know, those kind of issues, compulsive eating, binge eating may need a lot more work done on the, the, the mental psychological side before they can use a physical tool like that, like, and properly use that tool because otherwise yeah. they're just going to find themselves in a really dark, you know, bad place. Yeah, absolutely. And if, if someone's got that, that, that addiction to food, which and I consider myself that I was addicted to food, uh, I don't think I was at a point where I needed counseling. But there are some people who maybe need to go through some sort of, of counseling to help with that before going down this path. And maybe that's actually all they need and they don't end up needing surgery after all, which if that's the case, awesome. Uh, but they may still find themselves needing to have surgery, but getting that addiction treated in the process. Um, and, and it's funny that you mentioned with the, uh, the thread of people talking about tricking or uh, getting past the psyche valve for, for weight loss surgery. Um, I've seen people, I'm in, in a couple of bariatric groups on, on Facebook and seeing people post in there, this, the, the way they, they talk about the process and, and lashing out on people. It's like, sometimes I wonder how these people get through the psyche valve to, to the point where they got the surgery approved and like, well, they, and I, I guess it's not too hard to lie to them if you kind of figure out this is, these are the kind of answers they're looking for. Uh, cause it was really, it's like a one appointment thing and. They just want to make sure, like, I, I don't want to say that you're not crazy, but they, they want to want to hear from you that that you're dedicated to this, that you're committed, and and you're you're ready to make those changes. So anyone could say, "Yep, I'm ready. I'm 100. percent I know what my triggers are, and this is what it is, and this is what I'm doing with it." But then not actually doing it. So well, they don't want to. They don't want to set you up for failure. Right. Like, you know, they don't. If it, it 
as much as people are, are gonna you know, love to talk about you know medicine is a money making business and all of those tangents, like at the end of the day, the people that are involved with the process want you to be successful. You know, they they want to make sure that you're in a place where you're gonna get the most success out of out of the process, and you know, and so it one hundred percent you know makes sense to me that those steps are involved. Yeah, and if and if you're if, if someone's trying to cheat the system to get their surgery approved, whether it's this psyche valve or anything else, you're really just doing yourself a disservice by, by doing that. Because again, that's another, another way you're just setting yourself up to fail. 100%. So Jason, what are the goals, you know, knowing that you, you have come through all of this work that you've done, you know, and, and are, like you said, still, still working on things like what are, what are the goals that you have in focus right now? So right now I am, I, I actually started working with a personal trainer a couple weeks ago uh, to kind of get myself back on, on track with, with my exercising. Um, I had COVID last September and uh, I had the, the uh, complete energy drain for a while after that. Uh, so that kind of killed my, my momentum on my, my workout routines. So I'm getting back into that. I started working with physical, or not physical training, but personal trainer to uh, work on upper body strength, uh, because like I mentioned before, some of those trapeze, they're not trapeze, why do I always want to call them that? Monkey bar type obstacles on these races uh, are kind of my downfall. I, I, I've never had the upper body strength to do those. So that's my goal is to be able to at least complete some of those in the, my next races. Uh, so that's kind of what I'm focusing on now is getting back into my running and working on on upper body strength. And uh, with, with all that, I know that'll get me back down to my target goal range well i like that man i think i think those are solid things to focus on and there there's there's tangible outcomes to a lot of it as well which i think is always important with a goal so that sounds great jason i i've enjoyed us kind of going through the the, your experiences today and this journey you've been on and really kind of diving into the the you know the, the mindset process around surgery like is there anything that you were hoping that we would talk about today that we haven't had a chance to get to yet no, not really. I feel like we, we covered quite a bit. Definitely, definitely, man. Well, I end every episode with five questions I call the Fat Guy Five. Are you ready for your run through those questions? No, but go for it. Hey, here we go, man. <laughs> Question number one, tell us, living or dead, who is your favorite fat guy? Oh, man. Yeah, I'm definitely not prepared for this. Um, uh, I'm going to go with Chris Farley. There we go. There's no wrong answers to any of these questions. Don't worry. No wrong answers. No wrong answers. <laughs> Question number two. Jason, what is something about yourself that you love? Um, that I'm a friendly person. Let's go with that. There we go. Question number three. In everything that you've been through and the work that you've done, man, what would you identify as the most important new habit that you've built? Um, I think for me, it's it was finding alternatives to food mm-hmm. um, as far as not not replacing meals but replacing those snacks or, or unplanned meals with healthier options like like I mentioned before going for a walk talking to someone having some water something something that replaces that that, that empty um, those empty calories of just eating just to eat. And I think when we say identify those things, like I, I don't usually expound upon people's answers here, but this is one lesson that I, I wish every person w- would take away from all the stories on this podcast. Like, cause people talk about this a lot, like 
when you come up with those those things, write them down. Like create for yourself like a resource. So when you are facing food like that, you can open a note on your phone that says these are things I can do instead of eat. Like there's you can actually put that into action and that can be really powerful. So I think that that is a really important habit for people to work on. Yeah, because if you're if you're in that moment and you don't have like kind of already preset like these are the, the actions I can take in the moment, all you're thinking about is that food. So your brain's not going to go necessarily go back. Once you've trained your brain, that's different. But especially early on, your brain's not going to automatically go to these alternatives. It's going to oh, yeah. kind of default to whatever your default is, which in a lot of cases is food. So in the moment, it's it's helpful to have, like you said, have it written down somewhere where you can just refer to that and be like, oh, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And like you said, it's good to do that when you're not in that moment. Like do it when things feel good, when things feel solid. So that when you are challenged and perspective is hard, you've got it there for you. So I think that's really important. Jason, question number four, what is one goal you have for the next year that is not health, fitness, or weight loss related? Um, well, I am. I mentioned before that I'm finishing or I'm in school right now. So my goal is to graduate in May with my master's degree. Nice. Nah. <laughs> that sounds so trite. Nice. Uh, but no, that is, that's an accomplishment, man. That's awesome. <laughs> Question number five, Jason, if you could go back and, and talk to yourself in the past, you know, be, when you were making the decision that you were going to make change and, and start on this journey, like, is there anything that you feel like you needed to hear then that, that you'd want to make sure you did? Honestly, I don't think so. Um, I was fortunate to see my wife go through the surgery and the process um, be involved in some of the appointments. So I kind of had a, a work glimpse that some people, a lot of other people don't have going into it. So I, I don't think there's anything else that I would, would kind of go back and tell myself because I'm pretty fortunate that I got a lot of that extra glimpse of what it looks like before I started down that road and then having all that support. Uh, I don't think I would change anything. And I think it makes sense, like hearing your story, like knowing also what you had to learn as you watched, you know, watched your wife go through that process and, you know, shift your perspective on surgery and, and that whole experience. Like, it sounds like that was an important part of what you went through. So anything that might try to cheat you of that might have set you up for failure in the future. Yeah. And I, I most likely would have never had the surgery had my wife not had it. Cause to me, that was, I was one of those people that like, that's a, that's a cheat. It's an easy way out. And it's not something I'm going to do. So had she not done it and I saw the work that's involved in it, I likely never would have done it. There we go. Well, Jason, it, it is obvious to me, you know, following your page that you're doing a lot of hard work. So if anyone out there is listening and is curious about what you're up to or wants to see what happens when you do, you know, hit those goals with the upper body body activities in the Spartan races, like where do they follow you, man? So on Instagram, my I don't want to call you username handle. I don't know. It's a downsizing underscore Jason. Um, I don't post a ton on there, but typically when I do, it has to do with either food or um, healthy food, not bad food. I'm not going to post stuff that's going to tempt people um, or workout or uh, race related. So uh, usually you could find my, my stuff on that Instagram. Nice. Well, I will make sure to put that in the show notes today, man. I just want to say a big thank you for coming on and sharing your experiences with the listeners. Happy to do it. Thanks for having me on. Definitely. My conversation with Jason is going to continue in the Patreon after shows. So don't forget that if you're not signed up for the Patreon, that is a great way to support the show and to get access to these bonus episodes. There are almost 60 of them now 
where you can hear our conversations continue. So check that out, people. And don't forget, you can connect with me on Instagram as well at Gourmet Goes Keto. On X at Gourmet Goes Keto, you can email the show at thefatguyforum at gmail.com. And then, my friends, remember, every day go out there and do something to amaze yourselves because you're the most amazing people I know. Then come back and catch us on the next episode of the Fat Guy Forum. Thank you.